Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to God's Church, Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm glad you're here. It shows God that you chose to make Him important today. And if you're listening to me on SoundCloud or another internet application, (laughs) wherever you are, good morning or good day to you as well. May God richly bless you for seeking Him today. If this is your first time listening to me, hi, I'm Pastor Ed, and you're listening to me from McKinney, Texas, USA, and this is Gospel Saving Church and our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. All right, well, we always start with a prayer to ask God to help us understand His Word, among other things. So if you guys will please join me, and we'll roll into it and see what God has to say for to us today. Lord, thank you so much for helping us, Lord. Helping you, you help everybody. And Lord, by that I mean you help everybody. You give life, breath to all things. Lord, you give breath. Lord, you make that air that we breathe every single moment of every single day. And we don't do anything for it. We don't, we don't make it. We can't make it. Lord, it's, it's just supernatural. It just happens by the creation that you made. We don't even make our hearts beat in our chest. Lord, as you, as when we go to sleep, we don't think about our hearts beating. Lord God, you just make that happen just because you just give good gifts to people. You just give life to people. So we thank you, Lord, for all the good and awesome gifts that you give humanity. And we thank you, Lord God, for your word, of course, which we're about to study, Lord. And we ask you, Lord, that you'd help us understand your word, help us understand clearly, help us to to not only understand your word, Lord God, but help us to make application to your word, Lord, to let your word apply, that we would let your word be applicable to our lives, Lord God, that we wouldn't just hear it and know it mentally, but that we'd actually live it out, and do what you say to do, Lord, which is your will. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. We ask that you'd impact our lives today, Lord, and I pray that you'd impact every life that will ever, every soul that's in the room with me right now in our church here in McKinney and every soul that's across the, the, our borders in America and all over the world, Lord God, that'll listen to this sermon. And I just pray you'd impact their lives, Lord, and help us to know you more and help us to apply your word to our lives. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 today. You can turn there now, for that is where we will be. Of course, but I don't teach it or read it or anything until after I get through my thoughts from last week's message. The stipulations to answered prayer. So here we go. We begin. Last week I told you about... Five stipulations to answered prayer. And of course, that means that a Christian, or anyone for that matter, can't just pray and ask God for healings, wealth, or whatever they their hearts may desire, and then they're guaranteed to get it because, you know, they just had faith or they just believed God that they were going to have it. But rather, the Bible says for our prayers to be answered, God requires our lifestyles and prayers to match up with Five stipulations that God has given us in his word. I'm not going to go over them today. You can always go back to last week and look at that just for time's sakes. But um, speaking about these stipulations from God's word, I also told you about how many so-called Christians and Christian churches believe that if you solely have faith and believe, you can have wealth or health or whatever you want, guaranteed, because they're God is bound by my faith and by my belief and because I have that faith and I believe that God will do this and because. Well, the only thing I have to say on this subject this week is this. 
That ideal, that mindset is appalling to me. To think that anyone can read God's word as a whole. I mean, and by that I mean take the whole counsel of God's word, from the Old Testament to, to Revelation to whole to the whole Bible, and think that just because you may trust and believe God for something, then He will give it to you, whatever guaranteed. To me, I see this as nothing more than them trying to ascend really to the place of God and sit on His throne, to literally become like God. For the person who believes and practices this doctrine, this what we call today our health and wealth doctrine, where God is bound to grant their prayer requests, guaranteed because they have faith and belief, is basically telling God what to do. You're the boss. And if you're telling God what to do, who's in control? Well, not God, but you. And if the person that's praying, that's binding God by his word to do what they want, is in control by their faith and belief and not God... How is that any different than what Satan wanted by his will in Isaiah 14, where God tells us, Isaiah chapter 13 and four, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. God says this of Lucifer or Satan. He says this, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. So what is he saying? Satan's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to heaven. I'm gonna go where God is. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And that meant that Satan was going to make his throne above God's other angels. For Satan was, a, was an anointed cherub of the Lord. Right, that's number two. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation of the farthest side of the north. See how he keeps getting higher and higher and higher. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. That's where Satan was going. Satan was going to the place of God. That's where Satan wanted to be. What was his punishment for trying to be the boss, really? Because he was trying to ascend where God was to be like God. Where he was going, uh, the, Isaiah tells us in verse 15. Yet, God says, you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. So really... Satan wanted to be God, wanted to be like God. God said, you can't be like me. And for your wanting, even wanting this, imagine you're in the presence of God and that's still not enough. You want to be God. God says, that's, that's enough. I'm, be gone. Get out of here. And, he's gonna, and that's why Satan will be bound in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. If a person can pray, uh, paralleling this, if a person can pray to God for healings or wealth or whatever they want, and God is bound to obey this person's prayers because they have faith, then they're really ascending to the place of God as Satan wanted to be. Christians, we have to be careful how we come to God in prayer. We need to come hopeful, yes, expectant, yes, in faith, absolutely, and having confidence, that, but not demanding God to do things and not feeling entitled that he absolutely will because, you know, I have, oh, he has to by my faith. You may be diligent. Think of this. You may be diligent to meet all the five stipulations that I talked about last week in prayer that God laid down in his word to get your prayers answered. But then you may come to find out that the biggest one, let's say you've been praying for one, you know it's God's will, and you see it in the Word of God, and you know it's God's will, and yet you've been praying it, and Lord, you know, why isn't this happening? Because you may find out that that prayer request, although God's will as a whole, is not His will for you. 
Because, remember what I said last week, Jesus said, the Father gives good gifts to his children. Well, what if that gift isn't good for you? What what if it's not his will for you at that time? What if that will for you is never supposed to be for you? Well, then you'll never receive it. So you can't just say, well, because I know it's God's will, because I see it in the word, then it's got to be for me. You can't just claim that, because that may not be God's will for you, because it may not be good for you. So remember, a good rule of thumb when you pray, a good rule of thumb to remember, remember how one of the stipulations to answer to prayer was that you must, your words, if your words abide, if his words abide in you, Jesus' words abide in you. And that meant if your prayers parallel the ones that Jesus prayed, right? That's what the Bible said. Well, he ended the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember, with the words, you know, he said, let this cup pass from me. He's talking to God. But he said, nevertheless... Not my will, but let your will be done. And so that is an awesome, awesome, awesome prayer of, yes, God, I know this is your will, but Lord, you know, this may not be your will for me. So Lord, whatever your will is, I want it, but this is what I'm hoping for, Lord. This is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm asking for. Christians, we do well to parallel our prayers after Jesus's. Because coming to God in prayer the wrong way can be spiritually harmful to your soul if you're not careful. Anyway, praise God. Let's move forward. Our uh, title of today's sermon is, There is Sin Not Leading to Death. 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. I know it's only a couple verses, but... There's a lot here, so let's get reading and let's get studying. Verse 16 of 1 John chapter 5. John says this, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which did not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Now you say, Pastor, how in the world are you going to make a whole sermon out of two verses? Well, I've done it before, I'm going to do it again today, and i got a lot of information, so I want to get started. Our next point today in our context both relates and doesn't relate to the last idea of the stipulations to answered prayer. How, you say? Well, remember how John told us in verse 14 that if we prayed anything according to God's will, that we could be assured that we would have a request. Well, right off the bat here, John gives Christians something that they can pray for with assurance that our prayer will be answered. First part of verse 16, again, if anyone, this would be the context now. Remember, always our context. We always have to read the Bible per context. And context here, who is John writing to? John is writing to Christians. So if anyone, a Christian, sees his brother, this would be a Christian brother or sister, sinning a sin which does not lead to death, I'll get all all that later, I'm just hitting the highlights, he will ask, that means pray, and he, God, will give him, because we know things come from God, God will give him, the brother or sister in Christ, life for those who commit sin not leading to death. So, Pretty easy. We see another one of God's will here. You can pray for a Christian brother or sister that you see sinning, a a sin that doesn't lead to death, and God will grant them life for that sin. 
So that's the part of the text that relates to last week's text. But what about the part of the text that doesn't relate? Did you see it? Listen here. The idea of a Christian committing a sin that doesn't lead to death. What death are we speaking about here? Well, we're speaking about spiritual death, meaning hell or separation from God. That is what, you know, when you're obviously... Uh, John is not speaking of the Bible is a spiritual book. So when we see the ideas in the Bible, the ideas in the Bible are spiritual. They're not physical. John's not saying if you see a Christian brother or sister sinning a sin that doesn't lead to death, meaning they're, they're, they're committing a sin that's not going to lead to their demise or death in the physical. No, the Bible is a spiritual book. This is a spiritual idea. He's talking about spiritual death. So this would be a Christian committing a sin that doesn't lead to spiritual death or separation from God in hell. So what is John talking about? Sinning a sin that doesn't lead to hell. Doesn't the Bible say that sin separates people from God and sends people to hell? Well, absolutely. Right here, for starters, in our verse 16, I'm just going to graze it over. I'll teach it later. For there is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. So really, sin leads to spiritual death. If you sin... You will go to hell. Like if you make a practice of sin, you will go to hell. A very popular verse in evangelism, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And God told his children, the Israelites, Jews in Isaiah 59.2, but your iniquities, iniquity is another word for sin, have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. So yes, Sin absolutely does separate people from God. And yes, sin does send people to hell. But John writes to us here of a strange and very different concept. Very, so different that the Bible doesn't even actually reference this one, the way he puts it here, this idea, anywhere else in the entire Bible. John writes to us about Christians sinning a type of sin that doesn't separate them from God. A sin, some type of sin that doesn't send people to hell. Uh, So that means that we need to be careful, number one, how we interpret this verse, because since there's no other like it, and I promise you, not one other verse in the whole Bible do we read the the idea of a Christian committing a sin that doesn't lead to death. It's, It's just not there. We need to be careful how we interpret this verse because we can easily mistranslate it or misunderstand it. And that's where false doctrine comes from. So we need to be careful. So we need to ask some questions here. Number one, what kind of sin can a Christian be sinning or committing that doesn't separate them from God or send them to hell? Even though the Bible clearly says that the wages of sin is death. If you sin, the Bible says, if you make a practice of sinning, if sin is your lifestyle, you will go to hell. Do we smell a contradiction? Because how is there sin that's not leading to death? And, and number two, what does John mean by telling us that a Christian can see another Christian sinning this type of sin and pray for them so that they can have life? Number three, what is life here in this context? How can we have life and we can see somebody sinning a sin that's not leading to death And how can we pray for them to have life? Well, before I attempt to answer these questions, let's first read verse 16. And I'm going to glaze over it real quick here and see what else John has to say to us about sin. He says there again, there's sin that's leading to death. I did not say that he should pray about that. So just this verse alone, John says that there is sin that a Christian can commit that doesn't 
lead to death or separation from God and hell. And there is sin that Christians can commit that does lead to death or separation and hell. And Christians can pray for another Christian that's committing sin that doesn't lead to death or separation and hell. So God will give them life from that sin. And then there is sin that Christians commit that will lead to death, and we're not supposed to pray about that. Here, I don't know if you saw it, but I'm always big on pointing out things in Scripture that, contra- or that, that overcome the false ideals of the world. But we see here that there's a, there's a doctrine in our world today called once saved, always saved, unconditionally, mind you, where they believe, people believe that once you become a child of God, then nothing can remove you from that status. Yet here we just saw that John said there is sin leading to death, and we know that's separation from God in hell. And so for that matter, if there is sin that Christians can commit that will separate them from God, how can we say that once we're always saved, we're always, or once we become saved, we're always saved if there's sin that is leading to death or separation from God in hell? It, it's crazy. The Bible is full of all this stuff. We just have to read it in context. So now, so far, John didn't answer our, our questions that I asked earlier. They, they were, what kind, and he even added one. So number one, what kind of sin can a Christian sin or commit that doesn't separate them from God or send them to hell, even though the Bible says that sin separates people from God? And is this a contradiction? Seems like it is. Let's see. What does John mean by telling us that a Christian can see another Christian sinning a type of sin? Pray for them and they can have life. And number three, what, what is life in the context? Here's the new one that he added, though. Then the fourth one that he added in the, in the second part of verse six there. What kind of sin can a Christian commit that leads them to hell and separates them from God? These four questions need answers. Without answers to these questions, the Bible's confusing and contradictory. Sin that can be committed that doesn't lead a Christian to hell, and sin that can be committed that can lead a Christian to hell. And we can pray about one, but not the other. What is John saying? And again, we need to be careful how we translate this, because the Bible doesn't mention this concept one other time directly. So far, John hasn't given us any explanation of what he's exactly saying in our first verse. Read verse 17. Let's see what else he has to say. We'll get through our verses, then I'm going to explain everything. He says, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. No. He just said that all unrighteousness, or things people do that are against God's laws, are sin. But again, he mentions that there is unrighteousness or sin that doesn't separate people from God or lead people to death in hell. So that verse didn't answer the questions that I asked earlier, and it seemed only to confirm our seeming contradiction. So let's get some answers to these questions and the seeming contradiction about sin that doesn't separate Christians, even though the Bible says different, okay? Although the Bible doesn't address this topic of sins that a Christian can commit that don't separate them from God and the ones that do, God's Word does address one thing that's similar to our topic. And what is that? God's Word addresses sin. God His word addresses the cure for sin, and so that's where we're going to go for answers to what kind of sins separate us and what kind of sins don't separate us. First question, let's knock it out. What kind of sin can a Christian be committing that doesn't separate them from God or send them in hell, even though the Bible says it seems to say different? Well, we read, first of all, a very popular verse. Many people know it's a section, though. It's Romans 3, chapter 23 to 26. God says this through Paul. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I'll add that everyone will continue to sin. 
fall short of God's glory as long as they're alive, because that's what the Bible says. And people are imperfect, and we screw up all the time because we're not perfect like God and Christ. And that is the truth of humanity. For all have sinned and all will always continue to sin and fall short of God's glory even until we die. And we know that this is the sin that we commit that separates us from God and that sends us to hell. But look to verse 24, for there we start to find our answer. Paul says this, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, so although all have sinned, those who come to Christ and are justified by his redemption, by his blood, are set free from the bondage of sin. They're set free from the result of sin, which is separation from God. Paul goes on to say, verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate, listen, at the present time, his righteousness. That means in our time that he might be just and the justifier. So that means God will justify the one, he goes on to say, who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. That means to purify the one who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. So although all sin separates man from humanity or from God, from man from God, if someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ, God justifies them. The sin that they commit from that point on no longer sticks to them. God sees them as pure and holy. Hebrews 10:10. 10, 10. Paul says this, by that will we by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In John 1, 1, 9, 1 9, which we all know we studied it earlier uh, this year. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. So we're all sinners. John just said it. We're all sinners. Verse 9. The rest of verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So although Christians may sin as we live on these weak fleshly bodies, because that is the downfall of humanity, sin, we have become sinless in God's eyes if we put our faith in Christ and we've been washed clean of our sins and because of his sacrifice and because of his shedding of his righteous blood that he became to be a propitiation or a sacrifice for us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness or the sin that separates us from God. And that makes the normal, what you'd call everyday shortfall sins. I'm a human being. I make mistakes. I sin or sins that we just commit without thinking. You know, oh, I said that. I didn't mean to say that. All oh, that was sin. Or oh, I, I looked at a girl with lust or whatever, those types of sins that John's writing to us about here that we commit, that that John's writing about here, that, that don't separate Christians from hell or don't separate Christians from God or, or send us to hell. So there's no contradiction either because sin does separate people from God, but not for truly saved Christians because Jesus's blood cleanses us from sins from the sins, from the separating effect of sins and the damning effect of sins. What kind of sins are these, you may say? Well, you know, God was laying on my heart, you know, what, what, 
kind of sins are we talking about here? I mean, are we talking, uh, if I'm a Christian, you just, whatever, any sin? Uh, not quite. So what kind of sins are these that don't separate us from God or send us to hell? Because John said here that Christians can pray for each other when we see each other sinning these sins that, so that we could have life. And there's a stipulation here in this section of sins that we can commit that don't bring death upon us, spiritual separation from God, and that sins that we do commit that will not separate us from God. So I was just thinking and praying, and God laid some things on my heart that I, I think you'll hopefully uh, we'll see that you know there are sins easily that cannot lead somebody to death. Just some examples. Can't cover them all, but I just got two categories. I got young Christians, and I got maturing and mature Christians in here as well, too. For young and mature Christians, it's easy. Sin that doesn't lead them to death, somebody that's first born, somebody that just gets saved, can easily still have a foul or filthy mouth. They can easily not maybe be censoring their TV, you know, not thinking that foul language on TV or music is bad. Uh, easily, you know, they, they still have their anger from their old selves before they got saved, uh, outbursts of wrath, and, and that they don't know the Bible yet says, Colossians 3.8, Paul says this, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, God's name in vain, uh, meaning, uh, you know, oh God, you know, using God's name as an explanatory, really. Uh, And he says, put all these away from yourself, filthy language out of your mouth. You know, young Christians, so new in the faith, and they haven't even read the Bible that way, you know, so much. They just decided to, they, they heard the gospel, they heard, you know, somebody talking to them about Christ, and they know that, hey, they're supposed to turn to Christ, and but yet they don't know all the little, you know, things that the Christian faith says. They don't know all the things that God says in his word that, hey, don't do this or do this. Hey, if I'm God, you have, please me this way, please me that way. And they don't know all those things. Those are real easy things for a young, immature Christian to just be rough around the edges. They, they still sin, but their, their intent is not to sin. They want to follow God, but yet, you know, they, they find themselves falling short. Young, immature Christians, I don't want to offend anybody, but this is true. Young, immature Christians, uh, new Christians, uh, they vote Democrat. They can vote Democrat in, in America, especially. And But yet we know that God's word is against a lot of what the Democratic Party is responsible for. Killing millions of babies, Roe versus Wade, and destroying our country by extensive spending, uh, $20 trillion in debt. Uh, our presidential candidate, uh, Hillary Clinton, should be in prison for she uh, did evil things with emails and, and put our national security in, in, in danger, along with this recent wiki, wiki leaks, like uh, her being involved with these Satan worshipers doing something called a spirit cooking. You, you can look it up. It's it's very evil. It's, it's very bad. And yet she's a Democrat. And, you know, I, I can't. Jesus Christ would not vote for people that kill babies. Jesus Christ would not vote for people that ruin countries. That ruined people's lives. They're involved in, in demonic worship. And so I understand that. And the Bible is very clear on that. But a young Christian who's just recently come back to the Lord or just gotten saved, they might not understand that yet. They may be thinking, you know, this, that, or whatever. So immature Christians can have these sins, and yet they're not leading to death because their intent on them is not, you know, it's not like, oh, I hate God kind of thing. It's I love God, but, you know, this is what I think is right. And they're just not tuned in to the, to the true ways you know, of God. Any Christian from this point on, these are just uh, examples. Complaining. You know, I've met Christians, 
that all that they complain. I used to have a friend that I work with at one of my jobs that he just incessantly complained every single day about this, that, or whatever, whatever. And yet he wasn't thinking about God said through Paul, Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining and disputing. And uh, of course, since he wasn't thinking about that, he, he was, you know, he was just getting involved in the moment. That's a sin because we're not supposed to complain. We're not supposed to complain because that doesn't show that we're thankful. That doesn't show that we're loving God. If we're complaining, in a, if, if God's got us in a situation, we should just be thanking God no matter, no matter what instead of complaining. So we know that's a sin. Uh, Christians, all Christians, anybody for that matter, can be mean sometimes. We can be unloving. We can be rude to others at times. Yet Jesus said, love others in your actions, not your words, for God is love. And so we know that if we don't love people, then that's a sin. If we're not loving toward people, then that's sinful. Moses even said in the Old Testament, shall I, shall I sin by not praying for you? So if you're not praying for Christian brothers and sisters, God considers that a sin. Moses called that a sin. Christians may not know that. We may not, you know, you may not have been through the Bible. Is that a sin that if you don't pray for another Christian, you're going to be sent to hell? No, absolutely not. But it's still a sin, but it's a sin that's not leading to death. Um, another thing that God considers sinful, many people don't know, uh, not obeying all the laws of the land that they live in, no matter how corrupt or evil they seem to be, like breaking the speed limits or, or you know, going through red lights or maybe paying all their taxes, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, they may be, you know, a Christian, oh, yeah, the government's evil. I don't have to do those things. I don't have to pay my taxes. The government's evil. And yet they don't know because they've never been there yet or, or they've glazed over it. God didn't show it to them yet. Romans 13, 1 and 2 and 6. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. This is coming from Paul, who was a Christian in one of the worst and most evil societies of all time, early Rome, first century Rome. And yet Paul even said, let every, every, let every soul be subject by the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. That means God places all presidents, all rulers, all leaders in authority. And the authorities that, are, are, that exist are appointed by God. It says that right there in verse 1. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. In verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Is not paying your taxes and not paying all the laws of the land of sin? Absolutely. Is it a sin that if you don't know and you're just not obeying the laws of the land, is it a sin that God's going to go, oh, my son, you didn't, oh, look what you did. You didn't know that. Oh, that's it. You're going to hell. Absolutely not. It's not a sin that God's going to send anybody to hell for, but nevertheless, God's word says we should obey the laws of the land. So that means if we don't do it, that's a sin, but it's not a sin that's going to send us to hell. It's a sin that we can commit, that, you know, we can be prayed for and we can have life of. And I'll get to that in a second. And last, for any Christian, anytime, any Christian can commit anything really sinful that's kind of accidental. Maybe they're in a hurry or they're just not thinking. They're being lax about not keeping their sinful flesh down because I know for myself, that, you know, I'm going along in my day, and if I'm not careful, I can do so. Oh, man, I just did something, and I sinned. I wasn't being careful because this fleshly body. Men especially have to be careful on the Internet. Things pop up on the Internet all the time, and you have to be careful as a Christian man not to get lured in to those evil things that are on there. We've all found ourselves in those 
terrible positions on the internet were like, wow, I'm not supposed to be looking at that. Oh, God, forgive me, please. Oh, what was I thinking? Kind of that's kind of what I'm talking about. A sin that you can commit, it won't lead to hell, but yet a sin nonetheless. And any one of these sinful, 100%. As in, they're not God's, they're, they're, they're against God's ways and against his laws, that's for sure. But a young, immature, new believer will grow out of these types of sins I mentioned the longer they're saved and read the Bible and His Holy Spirit sanctifies them. And for all other Christians, as they get more into God's Word also, and they're, you know, they're going to be more careful to abstain from these things as they continue to read God's Word and God continues to wash over them and tell them the truth. And these sins will not separate Christians from God or send them to hell, mostly because they're done by Christians either in ignorance or immaturity. And because of this, the blood of Christ, the Bible says, will cleanse us from all of our sins. Question two, what does John mean by telling us that a Christian can see another Christian sinning these types of sins uh, that I just spoke on and pray for them that they may have life? And what does he mean? Because if those sins don't send us to hell, what does he mean that we could pray for these sins and they'll give us life? Well, the life that John's speaking about here is freedom from us committing these sins and having a stronger, greater, and fuller life in Christ. Strong's, which is a concordance that you go on and you study Bible words and get their original definitions in the Koine Greek. Strong says this about, Strong's had this word life, of course, for eternal life, but we know that that's not the context here, as we already know that this is not sins that leading to death or hell. So that means it's another type of life, or the other type of definition that Strong's had for the Uh, definition on this word life is absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical. So although those sins I mentioned above won't send a Christian to hell or separate them from God, committing them stops us as real Christians from living full lives in Christ. And ethically and morally, these sins are simply wrong and they're impure and they're against God's ways and laws. And because they're against God's ways and laws, God doesn't want any Christian to commit any sin. As God says in his word very clearly, God doesn't want us to commit sins. That's his perfect will. But of course, he knows that we're all going to sin, and that's why he sent Jesus. But it's the idea that since you know he wants us to be free from anything that would burden us, anything that would take us down, anything that would be unethical, even though it wouldn't send us to hell. All right, so that answers question number two and number three. We're almost done. We have the last yet least popular question to answer, question number four. Last question John asks in the last last part of verse six, how can a Christian commit sins that will lead us to hell and separate us from God? And then I will add the question now with all that I have brought up about being justified by the blood of Christ, right? If we're justified by the blood of Christ as he sanctified us once and for all, how can we yet still sin sins that will send us to death or will send us to hell or will separate us from God? I will tell you right now, you may be out there listening to me, most Christians in the world do not believe what I just said is possible. They believe that once a person is saved, born again, they will always be saved and they will always be born again unconditionally. Yet John says here in verse 16 in today's verse, in the context writing about saved people, speaking about death in hell, right? For Christians, to Christians, he says, verse 16, there is sin leading to death 
And I do not say that he should pray about that. So how is it possible for a Christian to commit sins that will cause them to lose the justification that they have in Christ, they lose the covering of his blood, and along with that, send them to hell if they live that way till they die? Well, look at what God says, God's word says about this type of sin, the attitude that a Christian's heart in this, of this sin, and the consistency of the types of sin that will send them to hell or separate them from God. First look to our first example, our scripture, Hebrews 10, uh, chapter 10, verses 26 through 29. Look at what Paul writes to us here. He says this, If we sin willfully, the word strongs on that word willfully says willfully as opposed to sins committed uh, in, you know, incidentally, like we're not thinking about them, from ignorance or from weakness. These are sins that we're sinning were willfully sinning them. If we willfully, like we purposely sin that sin, we know it's against God, yet we, we I'm just going to sin. I'm willfully going to sin. And he says, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, listen to what he says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. It's a hard attitude. If we willfully sin that sin, then what he said is, is that Christ's sacrifice no longer remains for our sins. Verse 27, but what, what's left? But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much more punishment do you suppose? Listen, the punishment now, will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing. Now listen, if a saved person becomes sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ, he would be in the sanctified category, right? That's what God says here. Once you're saved, you become sanctified. Well, Paul just said here that that they counted the blood of the covenant, which is Christ, by which he was sanctified, capital was capital sanctified. Why? You can't you can't have been sanctified unless you were sanctified at one time. So obviously here that this person was sanctified, that meant that he passed tense. He was saved, but now because he's trampled the Son of God underfoot, he's counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, because he sinned willfully, and it says here, and he insulted the Spirit of grace. It's an attitude of life that any Christian can fall off the edge and go to. You know what, God? I love you and all, but you know what? I I, got to do this. I, I, I just got to sleep with this girl. I, I just got to steal this thing. I just, you know what? Because I, just learned it. I just need to have it. I, you know, I, I, I know Jesus. I, I know Jesus died for me. And, and yeah, yeah, I'm saved. But you know what, God? I, I'm good. And because I'm saved, I, I can just do this. I can sin. It doesn't matter. Your blood will just cover my sins anyway. It's okay. This attitude, you were sanctified is what Paul says. This, this is any, any sin done in this attitude of heart, you were saved and now you're not saved. You've walked away from God because you've willfully fallen off into the practice 
of this of this sin. And with this heart of committing willful sin after the person's saved and trampling Jesus Christ underfoot and counting his blood is common if they begin to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Paul writes, Do you not know that the unrighteous, if you live unrighteously as a lifestyle again, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, he says. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. The fornicators would be people sleeping with girls outside of marriage. Men sleeping with women. Women sleeping with men. Men and men. Women and women. It doesn't matter. Anybody's fornicator if you're not having sex while you're married. Any idolater. You make anything more important than God. Money, cars, jewelry, houses, whatever. You aren't going to heaven. No adulterers. Somebody that's married, cheating outside their marriage, having extramarital affairs outside their marriage. You're not going to heaven. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. It's those who men on men getting married. I don't care if you're married or not. Women on married, women on women getting married. I don't care. Bible says you're not going to heaven. Nor thieves if you make a practice of that. Nor covetous. Nor drunkards if you if you're a if you're a drinker and you're a drunkard. You're you're getting drunk all the time. Nor revilers. Nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And listen to what he says to the Christians in First Corinthians. He says, and such were were some of you. Right, But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Notice Paul said of these Christians that he's talking to that they were some of you. That meant that they turned away from these sins that they were committing. They stopped. They, they turned to Christ away from these sins and they turned and they repented of their sins and they came to the Lord. They were some of these evil things that were not going to go to heaven, and now they were going toward God, toward Christ, and living for Him. Which is why it talks about the whole practice aspect in Galatians 5, 19-21. Listen, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, I'm not going to go through them all again, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revels, and the like, and of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Which means, ladies and gentlemen, if anyone practices or lives a lifestyle of committing these sins that God hates, that God clearly says in His Word, don't do these things, they're of the Gentiles, they're of the evil, they're of the unsaved, even a saved Christian, mind you, turns again from his holiness that God's given him and his sanctification that he had in Christ, then they will not inherit eternal life either unless they repent, which is the type of Christian that Peter's talking about in 2 Peter 2, 18 through 22, where he says this, for when they speak great swelling words, some false preachers of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So false teachers preaching, preaching to the law, to those that are saved about the lewdness and then they, about the, the, the sexual or whatever the lust of the flesh are. And the Christian says, oh yeah. And they're alluring them. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption by whom a person is overcome. By him also he is brought into bondage. For listen, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, this would be a saved person through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are 
again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. If a Christian falls back, goes back into sin, falls back to the lusts of the flesh, then the end is worse for them than the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So the type of sins that Christians can commit that will separate them from God again and send them to hell again are those that they commit that God clearly says in his word that he hates 1 Corinthians and Galatians, and that they begin to make that sin or those sins a practice or a way of life again, a heart, a willfulness. And then what that does is that makes the blood of Christ is a common thing. You were cleansed by the blood of Christ, but now you're sinning. Hey, you're showing God that the blood of Christ that cleansed you, it doesn't even matter. You're you're, you're making that a common thing. You're trampling what Jesus Christ did for you under your feet. That means that his sacrifice for you doesn't mean anything anymore. Because you love that sin more than you love the way that Christ said to walk. And John says that we should not pray for them committing these sins because just them stopping sinning, you see, doesn't save them from hell. Because just someone stopping sinning doesn't save them from hell. The willful falling back into sin again Christian will need to come to repentance again. And repentance is not not sinning. Repentance is turning your heart back to the Lord. Turning your mind, turning your soul, deciding to follow Jesus Christ again. Coming to surrender again. Realizing that you've sinned again. That you, you have are lost again and turning back unto surrender under Christ and giving him the lordship of your life back again. And then and only then, will, whether you're a lost person or whether you're a backslidden, fallen back into sin Christian, only then and only then once you've turned and surrendered to Christ again, well, then once that happens, the sinning, the willful sin will stop. But it starts in the heart. The sin is just the extension of what the willfulness of sin in the heart is doing. If you've got a heart that's sanctified to God, then you're not going to sin. If you've fallen away from that sanctification of God in your heart, then you will sin again. The sin is just an extension of what's going on inside of you. So there you have it. The type of sins that a Christian can commit that will not lead them to death or separate them from God or send them to hell. And we as brothers and sisters in Christ and our brothers and sisters in Christ for us can pray for us to have a life or freedom to not commit these things that although they won't send us to hell because we did them, you know, absentmindedly or, you know, we did them, you know, we don't even know they're wrong, but we can have freedom from them because they're not God's perfect will that we continue in them. God's desire for us is to have a stronger, greater, and fuller life in Christ than we had every single day. He wants that for us every single day. There's never a day that we can't have a greater, fuller, and stronger life in Christ because we're still being perfected. We're all in that process of being perfected. 
Along with, there's the examples of the sins Christians can commit that will lead them to death or separate them from God, send them to hell, just as before they were saved. And John says we should not pray for them to stop committing those sins because them stopping again those sins does not save them. Only salvation by repenting, turning again to Christ in surrender. Our text today, really pretty simple. Once you take the word of God as a whole, the whole counsel of God. And you know, I don't know about you, but for me, what I find the hardest thing with God's word is not his word is, is that is is it that's that complicated, right? If you have a good handle on the whole word of God, which we're all we all should be striving to do more and more and more each and every day. But what I find most difficult about God's word is the application of the things that he says to do. I find most difficult the ways that he said that we're supposed to come to him. The the whole surrender, the whole giving up our lives and putting it in God's hands and, and surrendering to him, the whole ways that he says that his kids must live. That's what I find hard from God's word. So today, whether you find God's word hard or not, and the application of it hard or not, I want to challenge you. If you claim to be a Christian today, I want to ask you, which category do you fall into? Do you fall into the sins that you could commit that are sending you to hell? Or do you fall into the category of just the sins that we can pray for one another and that we could be freed from them and have a stronger, fuller life in Christ. Examine your life, your ways, and your sins today, ladies and gentlemen. Hold them up against the standard that God gives you in His Word. Please, 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 I beg of you. And why do I, why do I beg you to do that? Why do I beg you to examine yourself today? As I live in a country of America where 75 to 85% of all people believe themselves to be saved. They consider, many, most in my country, consider themselves Christians. Saved and on their way to heaven when they die. But are they really? Or are the majority guilty of committing the sins that the Bible says will lead them to spiritual death in hell forever? Ladies and gentlemen, I have literally had thousands of conversations with people who call themselves Christians. And as I question them and as we talk and as I question them from what God's word says and how they live and their profession of Christianity, they're guilty of the sins that lead to death. Many of them are, as John says here, and yet... When I ask them, are you saved? What do you think? Well, God's the legend in heaven. They say, absolutely, I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm going to heaven. And they're headed for oblivion in hell. And they're clueless because they just refuse to believe God's word and they want to do what they want to do. I've told them of the sin. I've told them of the sins that I showed you today and how those who practice those things shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And they refuse them, believing themselves to be saved and going to heaven because they prayed a prayer one time or they have some belief in Jesus. Well, listen, 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 please, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Because he speaks to the he speaks to people here that while they're alive. They're committing the sins that lead to death, but yet they think that they're okay. They think that they're saved. They think that they're going to heaven. Listen to what he says to them after they die. 
because Jesus gives us a glimpse into eternity, what he's going to say to people once they die, once they come to see him face to face. Face to face. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who is done or he who does the will of my father in heaven. Listen, these people are dead. These people are standing before Jesus Christ. They're calling him Lord, Lord, and Jesus says they're not going to go to heaven. Yet they're still believing that they're saved even when they're dead. Many will say to me in that day, speaking of the end, speaking of the time when they come to see him after they're dead, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And listen, and then I will declare to them, this is not something he's doing right now, Something he's going to do when he's in heaven and you're facing him when you die and you're, you know, hey God, I want to come into heaven now because we're all going to stand before God and be judged at the end. And this is what he's going to say. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness or those who practice sin. Notice here, these are dead people, and they're talking to Jesus, and they're dead, and they're still calling him Lord, Lord. And only those, listen, that believe themselves to be saved and Christians call Jesus Lord. Yet Jesus Christ gave them the shocking news that because they practiced sin or lawlessness, and they practiced the sins that lead to death, like John said here, while alive, he said to them, depart from me, And that means that he didn't let them come in to heaven. They stood at the gates. They saw Jesus face to face. They believed themselves to be saved the whole time they were alive. They professed to be Christians. They went to church. They called Jesus Lord. They even did some good things in his name. But because they practiced the sins that led to death, Jesus at the gates of heaven said, I'm sorry, be gone from me, you who practice sin as a lifestyle, and get out of here. But they were deceived unto death, and they continued to be deceived through death. They still were, they they died, and they went to heaven thinking, I'm going to go right in. Praise the Lord Jesus, I'm glad I did all those good things. I'm glad, hallelujah, Jesus, I professed your name before others. Yet, because they practiced sin as a lifestyle, the sins that led to death, Jesus said, I never knew you. Be gone from me, you who do those things. Are you one of these? Please, 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 I beg you today, judge your lives. Judge your sins and judge your actions right now to see if you are guilty of practicing the sins that lead to death or hell and separation from God today. And if you are, you need to come to repentance again or turn to the Lord again as if this is the first time that you're going to get saved, just as the first time you came to get saved. And turn your heart to the Lord so your scale, so the veil will be removed off your face, as Paul says. Realizing you're lost again and turning your hearts back to Christ in surrender and giving him back the lordship of your life. If this is you, please turn to the Lord right now. He loves you so much. 
But if you're guilty of committing and practicing the sins that lead to death and you don't repent, then you will hear Jesus say one day when you face him, depart from me, you who practiced lawlessness. Please turn today. Come to Christ and surrender. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you, Lord God, for your love. Lord God, it's, it's, it's so difficult, Lord God, to stand up here and say these truths today, Lord God. To speak against one of the most popular beliefs in our world today. Lord, once saved, always saved. Again, Lord, we see it here in Scripture that it's not true. And Lord, to, to hear the sad fact that there are many who will come to you one day and say, Lord, Lord, and they're ready to go to heaven. And you say, hey, I know you thought that way your whole life. I know you're thinking that way right now. But then look, look back at your life. Look back at your life, my child. And what kind of life did you live? Did you live for me? And that was your heart. And yes, you still sin, but your goal was I'm living for Christ. I'm dying for Christ no matter what I'm I'm, I'm, I'm Denying myself, picking up my cross, and following after Jesus every day? Or was your, was your life of, oh, I know Jesus, yeah, 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 he's my Savior. And then you just lived whatever way you wanted to, and he's going to, maybe, Lord, you'll show them a picture, a video of all the ways in their lives that even after they claimed to get saved, or they even got saved, and they turned again to the evil things of the world and practiced those sins that lead to death, Lord. Maybe you'll even show them that video to show them where they were right before you say, be gone from me. I don't know. What I know is one thing, Lord, your word is very clear. Those who don't turn to you and surrender and follow you, Lord, will not go to heaven. And they won't be in heaven forever. Jesus, please, have mercy, God, upon these people that are like this, that believe these things, Lord God. And please, Lord God, turn their hearts to Christ right now. Bring them to repentance right now, Lord God. Cut their hearts to the quick, Lord God, and cause them to come to you right now. Please, God, save them. I love you and praise you and thank you, Lord God, for you are gracious and merciful. And I ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.